longer you allow yourself to be a victim of it, it will forever haunt you. So whatever little shred of responsibility you can have, look at the situation as it is, go over it. I don't want to say relive it, but sort of just you know, sort of replay the situation and then you leave it in the past and you don't let it define you. And it's no longer a part of who you are. It's something that happened, either something you did that wasn't okay or something that was done to you that was okay, but it's now in your past. It's no longer in your present. You're not allowed to be in that moment anymore. Welcome back, everyone, to the Redemption Road podcast. I'm your host, Doc John. Here on Redemption Road, we are interviewing high performers to hear about their life hacks and strategies they use to overcome the worst of life's pitfalls to go on and live a life of abundance. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of Elevate Rehab in Northern California, is the host of the Going Rogue podcast, and is a level one certified CrossFit instructor. It is my pleasure to introduce the incomparable Angie Manson. Angie, thank you for being here. Welcome. Ah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's get right to it. Um, now you've had you've been very, very successful, but uh, usually when we're very successful, we have an endeavor that we're so passionate about. Of course, there's a story behind it. Clearly, there's you know the, something that's very near and dear to you. you, you either something's near and dear to us, or near and dear to somebody that is a loved one. So you've done some phenomenal work in addictions um, with what your company is able to do. And it's it's different from the traditional 12-step kind of thing. It sounds like you've really revolutionized the industry. And I definitely want to talk more about that as we go along. But first off, I want to hear your story. And I think it'd be great for the audience to hear your story because you've overcome a lot of struggle yourself. So I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Walk us through uh, how it all started for you early on with some of the struggles that you had to overcome. So... Um... Okay. Yeah. What, growing up, I was, uh, my mom had me very young. She was uh, 18 straight out of high school. I had no father, um, but she was very independent and so, you know, and determined. So she's going to raise me on her own, but to support both of us, she worked two jobs. And with that, I grew up in the generation, we called them latchkey kids, where we learned to be very self-sufficient at a young age due to having parents that worked and that sort of thing. Get yourself to school, get yourself home, sometimes make yourself dinner, at least be in by dark, that sort of thing. And with that higher level of responsibility also came a higher level of independence, which for me translated to uh, more opportunities to find ways to get into trouble and be bad. And that's what I started doing at a pretty young age growing up in low-income housing. I was surrounded by other kids on a similar trek. And so I started smoking and drinking at 11 years old, which I always told this story, but once my kids got to that age, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so young. Like they're so emotionally, physically, mentally not uh, mature whatsoever. So it's it was pretty young that I started on that path. I had a lot of exposure to drugs and alcohol from my aunts and uncles due to our close uh, closeness in age and started seeing it as something that looked like a lot of fun and what the cool kids were doing. So I uh, started chipping away at that, getting myself into trouble, um, dropped out of high school. By the time I was 16, I was in rehab for the first time. Uh, against my will. Unfortunately for my mom, that didn't result in me getting sober. 
it did result me in me finding new and improved friends with uh, bigger and better addictions than I was suffering. And um, so I continued on my little trek. I think by the time I was 18, I'd been arrested seven times for various things, running away, cutting school, stealing, this sort of stuff. And uh, when I turned 18, she kicked me out. She's like, we're done. My my work here is done. Go along your way now. And uh, I did not stop doing what I was doing. In fact, uh, didn't real. Well, I mean, I guess I realized, but continued on my track. So by the time I was 20 years old, I had somehow continued to keep working and being self-sufficient, but I'd also fallen in with some not great crowds and due to my own stuff, got myself into a situation where I was facing 10 years in prison. And that's a lot for a 20 year old girl. I'd hung around people who had been institutionalized in and out of prison. And I kind of knew that was uh, once you once you go down that path, it's much it's pretty difficult to come out of it. It's a it's a lifestyle. It's a way of survival. Uh, you do what you got to do. And so for me, I was fortunate that I had a judge and um, I've since done my research, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I was amongst the first uh, in Reno that was given the option of a drug diversion, which meant he was willing to let me go to rehab for a year uh, and stay out of trouble in lieu of the 10 years in prison. And uh, for what myself, an opportunity. It was an amazing opportunity. And even at this point, I still didn't think I had a problem. You know, I thought, okay, cool. I will, I'll go to rehab because I have a problem just so I didn't have to go to prison. And I still, uh, it's it's funny to me looking at that now, because, you know, to be faced with that at such a young age, there's obviously some sort of problem there. So uh, that's what I did. I was able to find a program. Most programs would not take you for a year, but I was able to find a program uh, because my best friend had gone through it prior to me. And it was kind of like a mom and pop shop. It was in the executive director's house. He said, OK, I'm willing to help you with your year. I was unable to pay for it uh, growing up with not a lot of money. My family didn't have a lot of resources. So I started working about a month into my program. So I wasn't just a client. I was also working there, but I had no clue what I was doing. And so I'm giving back and yet trying to fix myself, but still in denial that I had a problem, but making it all work. I'm very fortunate that I was given that opportunity. And so I, uh, gaining little bits along the way and really starting to discover, I kind of like this. I'm kind of good at helping people. I've always sort of done it. Uh, you know, I was always the friend that was helping everybody, you know, from having a bad trip or not throwing up on themselves. Like I was always a helper. So right. it kind of led to, lended to my, what I was already good at. So I like that part about it. And so after a year, I went back to the judge, like, here, here's my good deeds, nice letter from the executive director. And he said, this is actually phenomenal. This is great. So you're done with your rehab, um, but I still need to see you every six months for the next two years for the duration of your probation. And this 10-year sentence is still out here over your head, just so you know, in case you screw up in any way, that that sentence will be leveraged against you. And so for me, I'm looking at this like I didn't have any sober friends. Where was I going to go? What was I going to do? This right. rehab was actually in the town that I'd been bad in in Santa Cruz. So 
I kind of knew my chances for making it if I left were very slim to none. Sure. And so I decided to stay and I continued working and somewhere along the way, um, I decided maybe I should just kind of go all in on this and really, you know, give it my all without doing all these little bad things because I'm seeing the magic of helping others. And I learned every position within the organization. I became the right-hand man to the executive director. And at the end of the three years, I went back to court and the, my my public defender said, look, they're going to, the prosecuting attorney is going to recommend another three years. And I'm like, wait, what? Well, you have this $13,000 restitution that you still haven't paid off. And that's part of the agreement. And back then, uh, although minimum wage laws were in effect, we really didn't abide by them. And I didn't even care as long as I had a roof over my head and cigarettes and maybe some gas money every now and then. It really, for me, wasn't that big of a deal. But I'm thinking, oh, man, so I this could go on for another three years. OK, great. So we go in front of the judge and the judge, you know, reads the recommendation. He hears what the guy had to say. He sees my letter. He sees me again. And so, you know, he's seen me like six times now. So we're kind of familial at this point. He's sure. seen my progress and he looks at the recommendation and he looks over at the prosecuting attorney and he said, I so rarely get to see successes in my courtroom. And this is one of the biggest successes I've ever seen. I can't even imagine what more you want from this girl. You know, you guys were paid from the insurance three years ago. And he kind of like scolded him in front of the entire room. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And then he looked at me and he said, listen, young lady, you have done the work. You have made the change. You've made me very proud. Not only am I erasing that restitution, I'm clearing your record. You have a brand new clean slate on life. Wow. You know, go forward, continue on your path. And, and I hope I never see you again. (laughs) And I'm just like crying. Talk about a rebirth and everything. I mean, a a whole, a whole new set of circumstances. It just goes to show if you really do things with intent and let, there's nothing that you can't come back from. I mean, to, to to go through that and then. It's just, oh, that, that story, I mean, it just it gives me goosebumps hearing that because it started out as something that you weren't really, you know, all in on is something you were kind of maybe going through the motions with at first, but then as you went along, it really clicked for you. And, you know, Ed Milet has talked about how the thing that disqualify you think disqualifies you actually qualifies you the most. Yeah. And this was something given your experiences and what you had been through with the addictions and everything else, all the hard times you'd gone through up to that point something that really qualified you to, to be so good at what you did. Absolutely. And, and, and I, you know, I, I tried to track down that judge. I wanted like years later say, thank you. And look at, look at what's become because of you, but they don't really give judges addresses out. <laughs> retired by now. So I was like, darn it. I just want to tell you, thank you. I'm no, I don't want to blow up your house or anything. I just want to give you a sincere thank you. But you know, I was so fortunate to be put on the path to redeem myself. Like, you know, it wasn't handed to me, but it was certainly, I was given the opportunity and every day I'm so grateful that I took that. And then I took it in the fullest. I mean, what is it? 25 years later after that, I'm still here and doing it. So I don't know of any other way to honor the opportunity that I got than to continue to give back to the people that were just like me. 
Absolutely. Gosh, well, you're, you're definitely a beacon for everyone. If we can uh, backtrack just a little bit to, you know, some of the early struggles that you had, what would you say was the rock bottom point for you? Um, going back to, I, I know you said you were facing a 10 year prison sentence. Would you say that was the rock bottom point or when, when would you say was the rock bottom point for you? Um, yeah, that was it. It was pretty much, that was my, my risk of freedom. I mean, certainly prior to that, I'd had trauma and situations, you know, you starting using at such a young age that definitely um, put myself in a lot of dangerous situations, doing things that I shouldn't be doing. So there was a lot of trauma there, but as long as I stayed medicated, I didn't confront it or deal with it. So I think, you know, having that final face of prison as an option, that that is what did it for me or it had to. I mean, and I say this, but at the same time, I still kept chipping away at it. So I don't know how much it really was impinging, um, but it was definitely I didn't go backwards after that point for sure. So you mentioned having some traumas and um, if you don't mind, could you share with us a little bit? You know, obviously, you know, with addictions, we're self-medicating a lot of those traumas. And when you have that removed from the mix, of course, when you take anything out of the mix, you got to replace it with something else. Yeah. So when it came to those traumas, what was it that worked for you? Because, I mean, I've got a lot of listeners who've been through a lot of traumas, and that's one of the hardest things to to overcome. And, you know, it, it's more than just a matter of talking about it. I mean, you can talk about these things all day, but until we develop some skills and a game plan and an approach... You know, we're going to be having a hard time getting through that. So what worked for you when, when, you know, substances weren't in the mix anymore, what took the place? Well, with the way that I got sober and the guy that helped me do it, um, he was like old school, hard knocks. And his belief was if you found total accountability and responsibility for every action that happened to you, whether deserved, you did it or you didn't, that was the way out. So there were scenarios in my life where I was like, but I, that I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't be responsible for that. This was done to me. And he's like, okay, cool. So what did you do leading up to that to put yourself into this situation? Or what were the, the warning signs that you were ignored or what were the things? And, and, you know, I think his, his, his thinking was correct, but it might've been like a little too extreme where there were right. certain situations where I'm like, listen, I'm a five-year-old kid. I cannot take responsibility for this occurring to me. Mm -hmm. However, his thought was, yes, but the longer you allow yourself to be a victim of it, it will forever haunt you. So gotcha. whatever little shred of responsibility you can have, look at the situation as it is, go over it. I don't want to say relive it, but sort of just you know, sort of replay the situation and then you leave it in the past and you don't let it define you. And it's no longer a part of who you are. It's something that happened, either it's something you did that wasn't okay or something that was done to you that was okay, but it's now in your past. It's no longer in your present. You're not allowed to be in that moment anymore. I, I love that. I, lo I love what you just said, because uh, that ownership is what really sets a lot of people free. And I mean, taking ownership initially is not a, a pleasant thing to do to, to say, okay, well, I contributed to that, but ownership leads to you being able to control all the outcomes, good and bad. So yeah. initially, you know, taking ownership of your part of a situation is very hard to say like, okay, well, this is my part in that. This is my part in that. Maybe I'm the common factor in all these situations that went badly. But when you realize that you have that causative effect on things, you can impact your life. You can impact the world around you. 
that also gives you confidence going forward because you realize you can also impact things for the better. Yeah. And then then you then the shift goes from being victim to survivor. And then you, you talked about identifying before. And this is another powerful thing is not only you go from being survivor, but you're not just the survivor either. I think a lot of times people over identify with being a victim or a survivor and you start to not over identify with those things. And you realize, start to realize you're so much more than all of those things. Yeah. You're not just defined by that one thing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you shouldn't be, that shouldn't be your label or your, your identity where, like you said, so much more than that. And I'd say if anything, like that's the thing I've realized through all these years of doing this is trauma is happens to everybody, every addict at the bottom of it, there is some trauma and it's just some of us respond in a negative way <clears throat> to create an addiction. Other people stuff it down. Other people join the military. Like, you know, everybody has a different way in how they handle trauma. Everybody has it. So why let that be your story? It doesn't need to be your story. That could be right. something that sucked. You got over it. Now let's, let's create a new narrative that is more pro-survival and kick-ass and where we want to be in life, not where we were can always change the story. Yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's, it's very interesting. I mean, during my time at the VA, you know, we always talked about, uh, you know, I was, I was in one of the first, uh, units of the VA to ever have, it was for male sexual trauma. And, uh, one of the things that they always talked about in there was it's living in the extremes. And so when you've gone through a trauma, we, we tend to live in extremes of everything, whether it's how we communicate with each other, we might be really, really aggressive, really, really passive, it might go extremes to of of substance abuse, maybe of anger, um, you know, maybe it's sexual behavior, risk taking behavior, but it's always something to an extreme. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, it it's it's amazing, uh, you know, what uh, you know, what, what the right kind of treatment, what's been able, what's able to be done when you're, you know, when you get the right kind of skills in place, so you stop having those those kind of extremes in place because you know trauma can really lead you to a lot of different uh, a lot of different directions there. It really can. And, and, and again, it's how you deal with it. I'm not going to, you know, justify my behaviors. I did what I did. And, and that is sometimes, you know, let's say something traumatic happens to you. Maybe you're not looking to take accountability for this happening, but you can take responsibility for what you did in response to that. You sure. know, you, you decided to go do these bad things because this was done to you. Although you might feel justified in your actions, it still wasn't right. So right. again, any way you can find like your, your responsibility and having created your life after that event is still completely valid and freeing. Absolutely. Yep. What happened to us may not have been our fault, but how we chose to handle it from here on out, the responsibility is always ours from here on out. And yeah, I think if you approach it that way, that's, that's where the success comes in. Yeah, well, and it's unfortunate because that's not exactly where we're at in society and society, you know, we want to nurture our inner uh, trauma, but I think it, people don't realize that that's not going to get you away from it. It's going to keep you grounded in it, reliving it, telling it, living, you know, being right. it. And, and that's not, that's not going to help us. Like we need to be in the present and we need to be moving right. forward. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. And I, I tell all my clients, you know, we're going to talk about these things initially because, you know, I, I have to understand where you're coming from, but you already lived that once you don't need to relive it. You, you yeah. don't need to live that again and again and again. That's, that's not going to serve you. That's going to keep you stuck there. It's going to keep you stuck in all the same emotions, same images, same everything. You know, the, the, where the rubber meets the road is having the skills and the different approaches to, to live life now, to apply to life now. And you know, so you can function. 
Right. Well, and that's why, you know, at Elevate, uh, it's different uh, than AA and NA because we don't sit around and tell our war stories every meeting. We don't say, hey, I'm Angie, I'm an addict, even though I haven't used in 28 years. And let me tell you my story. It's like, that's not it. Uh, You know, that's work you do with your one-on-one counselor, you work through your trauma, but now we're going to talk about what's happening now. What can we, what can we do to make solutions in the future? And don't be identified by a label of your past. Like it's, it's so disheartening for me. And so many people come to us because, you know, they go to a meeting and even though they've been sober for 10 years, they're still calling themselves an addict or an alcoholic, even though they haven't used in that amount of time. Like how high can they go if they're constantly keeping themselves down with this label of who they used to be? Right. right. It's that old identification again, like we were talking about before. Yeah. And so at what point did you realize that you were going to break off from the traditional um, mode of thinking in, in addiction programs, because I know your, your focus and your way of doing things is a lot different and it's very revolutionary compared to what a lot of addiction programs have been in the past. So at what point did it click for you that, Hey, I've, I need to, as your podcast says, go rogue. How, you know, at what point did you realize I got to do that? I've, I've got to try something different because the, you know, our people need more than this. Well, fortunately for me, the program I went into, um, I went into because it did not subscribe to your traditional AA and NA beliefs, which I bucked against. And and again, I'm I'm all for anybody who gets sober that way. Like I prefer that over, you know, nothing for sure. But the program I went into very much uh, focused on the accountability, the responsibility and different aspects that were not uh, AA or NA related. So I really enjoyed that. And I ran that program as a nonprofit for 10 years. And um, there was many great parts about it. So about seven years ago, we created Elevate. And what I'd come to where I was at on my journey is realizing how instrumental fitness was and health as opposed to again traditional treatment you sit around a room you're smoking cigarettes drinking cheap coffee it's not the most healthy place and people don't feel good they don't look good uh as a woman who uh had very much a lot of attention on on not wanting to get sober because i was sure i was going to get fat um i really wanted to provide a place where you could not only get off drugs and alcohol but you actually got healthier physically and, and using fitness. I love CrossFit. We put CrossFit gym in there. There's so many benefits to that camaraderie and working hard and achieving stuff and lifting weights. And obviously all the endorphins helps you sleep better, helps Mm -hmm. you sleep faster than anything, because we also take everybody off all drugs and alcohol. Mm And that's a big differentiator. I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over, but it's all kind of connected. <laughs> no, it, no, it, it all it all <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and what's what, what's coming to my mind right now is so often, you know, people will say, okay, what are the evils of alcohol? What are the evils of the drugs you're taking? But one of the most important questions I've always asked my clients is, what's the good thing that you get out of it? What is it that's reinforcing about it that makes you go back to it over and over again? And, you know, in the case of alcohol, maybe it's a social thing. Or maybe, like you said, you you didn't want to give up, you know, certain things because you were worried about getting gaining weight. So, being able to pinpoint those things and then to to provide the amazing things you're doing with CrossFit and the fitness and everything else to replace that, so that you can still have the social aspect, you can still keep your weight and keep your physical, um, you know, figure intact and everything else. I mean, that's 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 huge, you know, to be able to replace that because we spend a lot of time with substance abuse. We spend a lot of time doing these behaviors. 
And so a lot of people think, okay, well, I'm just going to quit. Well, well, anybody can quit, but if you're going to stay stopped, I mean, that's a lot of time in your behavioral repertoire that you have to replace with something. So you're giving them a lot of great behaviors to fill in that time, which is. Yeah. Well, and for a lot of people, they don't realize how good exercise can make you feel like they don't realize the feel good hormones that could get generated from doing the physical exercise, from achieving something hard, from trying something new. There's like these amazing emotions and feelings and hormones that are very similar Mm -hmm. to what people get and why they drink and why they do drugs. Like they're chasing those good feelings. And when you can get them to realize you can get those good feelings from working out, from uh, hanging out with people and laughing and having a good time and talking about fun things, not dwelling on your past and your misfortunes mm-hmm. and your all your losses, like, you know, teaching them positive psychology mixed mm-hmm. with the, uh, you know, the exercise and then throw in some mindfulness where they learn how to handle their triggers as they come up without just, you know, reacting and going after what they've always done. All these things in combination with handling the trauma and everything else creates a great program for people to get sober. Oh my gosh, this is gold. And the other thing that's standing out to me is they're developing real confidence and instead of the artificial confidence that comes with substance abuse. You're right. getting real confidence by doing fitness, by following these programs, by doing what you say you're going to do day in and day out and having something that they've really accomplished. And maybe some of the other things that might have gotten them the wrong kind of attention in the past. Now they're getting good attention because people are looking up to them and they're seeing the progress that they've made. And they start to see that they're influencing others and they're becoming a lighthouse for everybody else. And so it's real honest to goodness, confidence, real honest to goodness, self-esteem Let's get, it's getting built here. Yeah. And it's real honest people that want the best for you. Like we hear so often at graduation, like a, this is the first time I've laughed so hard in years because they've been in such a bad situation and B, this is the first genuine friendships and relationships that I've actually created where I'm not looking over my shoulder, where I trust everybody, where people don't want things from me. They just want me to succeed. And so many people, especially deep in addiction, they don't have that around them. They're surrounded by toxicity and they themselves being toxic. So to put them in an environment that is supportive and allowing them to be transparent without and and also vulnerable without using that against them, it's just, it's a nice place to heal where you can be completely honest and open, get that, like you said, that support but also that accountability, like you have to show up to class, you have to show up to fitness, you have to do this. Like addicts don't know how to do that shit. Like it's almost like you're having to relearn it again. So we're teaching them how to, you know, live by society's rules, show up on time, make your bed, do a chore, which a lot of them don't love, but this is life. Most of us don't have maids at home. So you got to learn how to do these things to re-implement yourself back in the world and feel and, and do good. And, and having that accountability in place and having that structure, I mean, that for a lot of these folks, this, this might be the first time they've ever felt like somebody really cared about them. Right. 100%. And, and that's why we have levels of discipline, you know, a first offense, you're going to be raking for a day and, you know, just different ways because our, our go-to isn't like, oh, one, one transgression, you're out, you're done, we're done with you. It's like we realize that they're relearning things and they're testing boundaries and we're here to say, here's the boundary. You crossed it, let's not do it again. And, and if sure. you do, then we're going to, you know, make that discipline a little harder. And there always is suspension out there as like, as, and I won't even say that's a final straw because it's a suspension, not an expulsion, but sometimes 
people have to be pushed to that point too, for them to go, oh shit, those people actually really cared about me. Let me do what I got to do to get back there because now I'm here for myself. I'm not there for other reasons. And that also can work. Right. Yeah. And it, it clicks at different times for different people. And, yeah. um, but it, it, I mean, it sounds like, um, it sounds like you guys are doing some amazing work. How much talk to me about the, like the success rates. I mean, like what kind of empirical research have, have you done with your program to, as far as success rates and everything? Cause I, I imagine it must be overwhelmingly amazing. Yeah. So as soon as we started our program, we started doing outcome studies and there we hired a third party independent company. They track the results while the client is in the program, through the program, and then for up to six months or a year after they leave the program. And uh, for us, so we've been doing this since we started. So for seven years, we're running like about a 60, 70% success rate, which is wow. pretty amazing. And because we're also not just like, are you sober and white knuckling it? Like, did you get a job? Are you taking care of your bills? Are you, you know, being active in your recovery as opposed to, are you just staying sober? So there's a lot of metrics that we track and we stay in touch with them after they leave and we provide continuing care for them. So um, yeah, our success rate is amazing. And I think it's because we really address the whole person, body, mind, soul. Um, and we encourage them to do the same when they leave. And then we're always here for them. If there's a slip, we try to bring them back immediately. Let's patch you up. Let's get you back out there and, and go do well in life. So have you found your protege yet? The person that's going to come back and work for you and is well, uh, going to do their own thing. <laughs> yes, we'd have a lot of protégés. It's interesting you say that because back in the day I used to feel like and and it's because people made me feel this way that uh you know having a bunch of ex-drug addicts running a drug rehab was like bad. Like you need to leave that to the professionals and their degrees and what we found is addicts and alcoholics they tend to listen to people who've been in the same spot mm -hmm. as them. So 90% of my staff have come through the program. So sure. after they finish the program, they'll do a trainee program. If they do a great job and it's a good fit, they will continue on. We plug them in different places in the organization. So many people want to get back. Some people just need a little more sober time, but they're great employees. But the majority of my staff have all come through my program and the clients love that. That's the thing that they'll say repeatedly as well is like, you guys actually get me. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, oh, that's right. Cause you can be empathetic to their situations. You understand. I said, well, actually it's because we can hold them more accountable because we've been in that situation and we know what it takes. We're not going to yep. buy into the feel sorry for me because I have this. You disease. don't understand me. You don't know what it's like. And I was actually worse than you, but that's okay. You're here and I'm going to help you through this. You know, so it actually helps us be even better at handling them. And yep. they love that because they're like, oh, you actually do understand me. Now we can actually sure. have an honest conversation and I'll accept your help. Credibility factor goes right through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. School of hard knocks. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that, that's very powerful. I mean, you know, when I was at the VA, you know, I was coming in, you know, with the school degree, but uh, you know, a lot of the counselors at the VA were this, you know, had been through that kind of program as well. And, you know, just the, the level of respect that they had for them because they had gone through it and overcome it. It's just, it, it's so incredibly powerful. Yeah. 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 And they love that. I mean, obviously we have our professionals and we have our people that get credentialed to be counselors and things like that. But it really is a way where, you know, people don't want to hear 
especially addicts and alcoholics, they're defiant, they're rebellious. They don't want to hear what their problem is. They want to be given the tools to figure out what their problem is for them. And that's another key. Like we don't have somebody diagnosing them and telling them what their issues are and, you know, doing all these things of different psychotherapies of, well, it's because of this <coughs> and that's why you're like that. We just sort of provide the copy. We have a copyrighted curriculum that where they get to work through the books and they get mm -hmm. to figure out that for themselves because no two people are the same. And so you give them the tools to figure it out for themselves without somebody telling them what that is. And then that's more real too. Sure. Yeah. There's no one cookbook recipe for, for rehab and for recovery. I mean, you have to take the things that apply to you and that, that work for you and the things that give you the answers that make sense and, and go from there. Yeah. Now, how many, how many folks do you have going through your program at any one time? So we have a 30-day program and we have our full program and uh, we also have virtual outpatient. So that was a, a quick pivot that we did um, with the pandemic so that we could keep trying to help people that couldn't come in. So, you know, we'll have anywhere between 20 and 50 on our virtual outpatient at any given time. And then, you know, 50 to 80 at any given time within our residential programs. That's phenomenal. And how many locations do you have? So right now we have two locations. One is in South Lake Tahoe. One is in Santa Cruz. And we're getting ready to open up an outpatient in San Jose and a detox in Reno. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, what are your goals for Elevate going forward? Uh, what uh, What is your what is your big picture uh, aspiration as far as Elevate's concerned? Because this is this is clearly something that more people need to be uh, buying into and and having access to. What are your uh, big picture goals? So for me, I want diversification. So we're, we're pretty niche right now. Like I said, everybody gets off all drugs and medications. They do their entire program sober. Um, we have realized though, there is definitely, and since the pandemic, mental health is uh, suffering greatly right now. It's through the roof. So there's people who are like, listen, I want to get off the heroin, but I need to stay on my Prozac. Mm -hmm. And so we realize that there's a definite need for mental health. And so I would love to 100%. open up a whole center that is centered around that. Our, our curriculum, here's an interesting fact. So I told you how we do these outcome studies. And so what gave me this realization is 95% of the people coming into the program present with depression and anxiety. It, sure. it just is what it is. You're, you've wrecked your life. You're addicted. You're not doing well. You addictions don't just happen magically because we're happy and, you know, just because <laughs> exactly. it's fun. You know, exactly. there's, there's always a reason. I mean, it's, you know, that's why when people talk about dual diagnosis, I'm like, isn't everybody pretty much a dual diagnosis? I remember asking that when I was an intern because I'm like, pretty much everybody in here has a, probably a mood or anxiety disorder on top of the substance abuse disorder. I mean, they're not 100%. just going to have a substance abuse disorder. You're not just drinking or using whatever drug it is just for, you know, like I said, because it's fun. There's, there, there's something underlying. A hundred percent. Well, and, and what we realized with those outcome studies is all these 95% of people that presented with depression and anxiety, by the time they did our program, they were no longer suffering from it. So although we weren't specifically handling mental health issues, it was being handled in the way that we 
we handle people. And so I was like, listen, we can easily duplicate this to different demographics and have similar results. So yeah, with just a few more tweaks. So I want to do one that is more centered on mental health, but the same sort of modality. I'd love to have a place for vets because they have PTSD. They have much deeper trauma. I would love a place that's specific for them where we could, you know, ramp up different levels of things, but still handle them with the same sort of methodology. I would love to get a place for juveniles because way, way, way back in the day, we used to be able to take kids and to be able to turn a kid around at 16 years old, where they have their whole life ahead of them. It's, it's phenomenal. Like their, their possibilities are endless. So I'd love to have a place for kids. So for me, it's all about continuing to expand, putting more elevates everywhere, but also go into more niche areas where we can even help more parts of the population that need help as well. Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. And yeah, and like you said, a lot of the same principles are going to apply. I mean, the same coping skills that you learn to to say stop drinking. I mean, and a lot of those same principles are going to help you to treat your depression, to treat your anxiety, to, you know, because in the end, it's all about rewriting your internal narrative and rewriting your story. And so, you know, whether you have substance abuse issues or just garden variety depression or anxiety or whatever it is, I mean, you can learn new ways to rewrite that story, new ways of, you know, thinking, feeling and acting. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I, I can totally see that blossoming into, you know, that whole other mental health piece, even independently of addictions for you. And so it sounds like you've got the, the right structure there and, uh, um, you know, and the right kind of people working for you that are going to help you carry on that mission. Oh yeah. I'm uh, super fortunate. So, you know, I told you, I've been doing this for 28 years. My executive team uh, there's about 18 or nine, <clears throat> excuse me, 18 or 19 of us. And they've all been with me more than 10 years. Most of them have been with me closer to 20 years. So there is literally in my mind, nothing that we can accomplish as a group. When you have that, those kind of people that have worked together that long, you know, we can, we know we can handle anything, literally anything. We've been through everything. We've been through everything you could possibly imagine. We're all still here. We're all still pushing forward. We all have the same purpose. And uh, as long as we're all together as a team, there's literally nothing we couldn't accomplish. So you've had people working with you for a very long time. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you've created the kind of culture that you have there. Cause I mean, obviously you've got a very successful well-oiled machine here. So talk to us a little bit more from a business standpoint um, cause I, am always fascinated by companies that have an amazing culture and very motivated employees where everybody's happy. I mean, everybody's held accountable, but, um, you know, they're, they're happy and they're very proud to be working where they're working. Um, how, how do you foster such, such a great culture there? I think it comes down to core values. Obviously we're all here for the same purpose and, my exec team, we've all overcome addiction. So we already have that sort of camaraderie and that like-mindedness. And then it to push it into core values of for everybody else, you know, hardworking and fun is one of our core values because yes, we work hard. We put in long hours. It's not an eight to five job. You really got to give yourself, but you, we don't want people doing it like miserably. Like that doesn't look good for the clients. That doesn't look good for us. We want that positive psychology. We also want to lead from the front. So although we are hardworking, we have fun doing it because we want to show people that being sober doesn't have to suck. Like it doesn't have to be (laughs) miserable and depressing. It can actually be really fun. We just kind of, kind of teach them how to do that. 
So the core values for us is really what's helped us mold it, the purpose, the passion, why we're all here, the saving mankind, like knowing that we're creating an impact, like that's huge for a lot of us who knew we did damage to have an ability to give back and, and help other people that were like us. This is why we do what we do. Oh, that's incredible. Talk to us a little bit more about um, where we can reach, where we can reach you, where we can find you, where we, uh, where everybody can learn more about you. We can learn more about Elevate. Sure. So uh, if anybody needs help or looking for help, our website is elevaterehab.org. There's a live chat there. There's an 800 number there if you need help anytime, day or night. And even if we're not uh, somebody, we're not a right fit for you, we will always help you find the right help that you're looking for. If anybody wants to reach me, I'm at uh, going underscore rogue uh, podcast on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at Angie Manson. I have a website, Angie Manson. So any and all of those, they all sort of lead back to each other. I've got a podcast called Going Rogue. If you just want more information about anything, we we talk about all kinds of things. So those are usually the best ways to do Excellent. it. Or you could just DM me and I'll make sure you get the help you need. Wonderful. Wonderful. So to the people that are listening, if you could, if you, if there's somebody listening, which I'm sure there will be that has some issues with addictions and you know some of the, a lot of the struggles that we talked about um but maybe they haven't taken that step to to get help what what would your message be to them don't wait this is the one area that's truly life or death i would say especially with fentanyl uh on the rise in so many insidious forms mm -hmm. that people aren't looking to you know go overdose and die but it's happening and it's especially happening with kids who think they're taking like a molly and they end up dead um i wouldn't wait this is life or death there is no like well when this happens and i can line this up and this and that it's like no and if you know somebody is struggling same thing like it's not always a comfortable subject and sometimes they'll get upset at you but at the end of the day, I think we all want to have a clear conscience that we did everything we could when we saw there was a problem and we helped. Sure. Yeah. That's one of those cases. That, you know, they might be mad at you. And, you know, I've, oh, I've yeah. had plenty of times where I had people that were angry at me and, you know, what? I'm like, yeah, OK, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm good with that. It's, you know, like you said, it's a life or death thing. And, you know, you save that person's life. And I think, it, you know, you can live with that person being mad at you because you'll be able to sleep at night knowing that you helped them and you did right by them. And, uh, and like you said, urgency, I, I think yeah. sometimes when it comes to substance abuse and mental health in general, I think a lot of people still kind of view it as a luxury, you know, it, it's something that they want to do. It's something that, oh, maybe I should do, but yeah. it needs to become the must. It needs to be something that's like you said, it, it's absolutely a life or death thing. It's just as important as any other aspect of your health. I mean, if you had to take a certain medication for your heart or you were going to die, you would take that medication. Um, or if you needed that certain surgery to save your life, you would take this, have the surgery and mental health needs to be treated with the same kind of urgency. And, and it, I think it's come a long way. I mean, we're starting to see more and more parity when it comes to mental health and substance abuse. I mean, you know, I, in some insurance companies, I know it's, it's, it's pretty close now, but um, I think in terms of the attitudes of everyone, I mean, you know, there's a lot more awareness, but it still needs to be treated with that same kind of urgency because, one feeds in the other. You can't have one without the other. You can't have your physical health without having your mind be in the right place and vice versa. And so. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I would definitely say I've seen a very positive movement where like the stigma of having gone to rehab or handling an addiction, drugs or alcohol, it's become a lot more common than Mm -hmm. it used to. It used to be, you know, very shameful and you didn't want anybody to know you had this problem. But I think uh, employers, parents, families, I just think it's become I don't want to say commonplace, but I think the stigma is sort of releasing that these aren't bad people, like just because you ended up with an addiction, uh, just because you ended up addicted to alcohol, it doesn't make you a bad person. It means you made some bad choices. But if we can clean up the person underneath it, they're they're you know, a lot of people are really dynamic individuals. They're Mm -hmm. like rock stars underneath. You just got to give them the opportunity or sometimes, you know strongly push and force them like I got pushed thank gosh uh for the better because uh it's just not the same like nobody views you if you overcame an addiction as as the way they used to which I think is super cool and I think that lends into like what you're talking about with mental health it's just become sometimes I think almost pendulum too too far the other way where everybody's got some condition and label and you know that's more like (laughs) enjoyable to to sit and all that stuff than to just actually handle the situation and let that be a thing of the past not what they are in the future like we talked about right yeah I think I love what you said too I mean I, I think if you stick with people long enough I mean get people the help they need. There's, there's gold inside every person. And so you just, you got to bring that gold out sometimes. And sometimes the gold's unrefined and, yeah. um, and, yeah. but, uh, but it's there. And if, if we stick people long enough, if, if employers are loyal to their employees and give them that chance, you know, it can really pay back major dividends in the long run. If, if you stick with people and give them the chance. And like you said, realize that they're, they're not bad people. They've just, they've had some bad things happen to them and, um, but if, if things are treated uh, appropriately, then they can just do amazing things and not just like, not just function, but do just extraordinary things like what you've done. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And sometimes they just don't know that there's, um, there's other help out there either. Um, uh, again, we're really fortunate in today's times, the access to help is, it's, I, I can actually see it as probably almost overwhelming because there are so many coaches and programs and things to help. Um, but at the same time, like a lot of people that come to us, they felt like they didn't come sooner because they thought the only way was AA or NA. They didn't realize there was other methodologies out there. And so sometimes they just need to discover or find that there is other treatments that are in alignment with what you think. You don't have to force something against your will to be a certain way. Like you can actually find something that aligns with your thoughts and your feelings and have a really good program and, and, and get the most out of it as opposed to fighting it the whole time as well. Absolutely. Well, goodness. Well, I cannot thank you enough for being on here today. I mean, you are an absolute inspiration with uh, everything that you've built, what you've overcome and uh, what you've built. And uh, like I said, you've just been a beacon for you know the, the world of addictions and um, with the innovation that you've shown and, I just, I can't wait to see what continues to happen for you down the road. I mean, it's, it's, it's really exciting and inspiring and just amazing to see what you, what you put together and um, what you've done for yourself and for your life and everything else. Um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you too. You know, we're on a similar path. We're just out here trying to help people. So I appreciate all the work that you've done as well. Well, let's keep saving some lives. Deal. <laughs> all right, everybody. 
That's Angie Manson. And uh, in the notes, I will be adding how you can also uh, reach Angie and, and follow her. If this resonated with you, if there's a valuable nugget uh, that you took away, um, first off, share the episode. I promise you, either you or someone you know needs to hear this. Yeah. There are so many, so many useful tips and nuggets here that uh, that are going to help you, whether it's addictions or in life in general, that are, are going to help you. So if, if this resonates, please share the show. Please go online, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify. And everybody, have a wonderful rest of your day. Make it a point to go out and make someone else's day better and be good to yourselves. 